0: Well good morning. Our scripture reading today is 1 John chapter five verses six through twelve. First John five six. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, one of the blessings through this time of streaming has been that um, we're able to watch from wherever we are, and uh, you know we've had some people as far as uh, Maryland watching, Southern California, and I saw even the wards in in Nevada are on this morning with us. So hello to all of you that are watching outside of Canby. That uh, is a blessing that we're able to do that, and we're glad you can join us from hundreds and maybe thousands of miles even uh, away uh, this morning. So. We get back into our First John series today as we are coming into the really the middle of chapter 5 and wrapping it up next week. Uh, and so I'm really thrilled to do that. It's been a great series and a, a blessing for me. Hope for you as well as we've been looking at this uh, short letter by the Apostle John. You know, I love the representation of Nicodemus in the new TV series on the life of Jesus called uh, The Chosen. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend Uh, Downloading the app to watch it or finding it on YouTube. It's the only two places you can find it. I don't recommend uh, shows often to our congregation, but I love Nicodemus in the show for the same reason I love the portrayal of him in John chapter 3 in the Gospel of John. He was a well studied and respected rabbi. He seems to be a sincere seeker, wanting to know the truth. Clearly, he was one, Nicodemus, who had been impacted by Jesus. And by seeing some of his signs and miracles, he was excruciatingly wrestling with Jesus' words on their encounter. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can this be, he asks. What a strange word, Rabbi. How can an old man be born a second time? What a privilege Nicodemus had he was able to go straight to the source to investigate this man, Jesus. We well, might think that in our day and age or after Jesus' ascension into heaven that it would be harder to believe. Uh, well, you, know, you might say, well, I can't see the miracles. I don't get to see the signs. I can't walk up to Jesus face to face and ask him, how can I truly believe that Jesus is the Messiah if I don't have evidence? Well, much like the 20th century famous, atheist Bertrand Russell when he asked uh, if you found yourself standing before God after your death what would you say and here's what he answered he said he would say to God sir why did you not give me better evidence in our letter of 1st John the eyewitness apostle who touched and saw Jesus has been writing so that we would understand that life centers on Jesus Christ that everything points to him And he's been making his case and giving us the tests by which we can test whether we truly know God. Do we know we know him? Not so that John can win an argument with us or me today with you, but so that we can come into true fellowship with Jesus, a true life-on-life relationship, and have a joy, a complete joy, John says, in the here and now. John begins to wrap up his letter. He returns again to the person and work of Jesus Christ to remind us that everything points to him. And he's the center of everything. You can't afford to get Christ wrong. So John does give us evidence. John does give us multiple witnesses to give us assurance and make sure we get it right. John makes the case so that if Bertrand Russell were to ask God, why didn't you give me better evidence? God would answer, You had everything you needed and more. So let's examine the witnesses to Christ that John gives us today to find assurance for our own faith. And and maybe you're a Nicodemus this morning who needs to be challenged. So grab your outline. The link is in the email we sent out yesterday. It's on Facebook as well, I think, for our notes. And let's work through this passage. Have your text open. What we say here at Bethany Church is that we believe God still speaks And when we open God's word, he speaks. So let's open it to 1 John chapter 5, and let's call our first witness to the stand. We're going to call this one the witness of the three that agree. The witness of the three that agree. Do you remember what John asked in verse 5 of chapter 5 as Nick preached last Sunday? Uh, Look up at verse 5 if you got your text open. He says, Who is it that overcomes? the the world, except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. When I look at the world right now, there's a temptation to not feel like I'm overcoming it or that we as Christians are overcoming the world. When I look at the world right now, I see a a lot of tidal waves that look like they're going to overcome the world. A, A big surge in coronavirus this past week and talk of fears that the worst is still to come. A tidal wave of, of riots and destruction and tearing down uh, different symbols of American history and a, a division amongst people, Christianity being portrayed in the news as the uh, the oppressive system of the West, not to mention an ongoing financial and recession and job crisis going on right now. I've heard multiple people say just this last week, "I feel so overwhelmed right now." Is that you? So if humanity's hope, if your whole hope for victory is based on faith in Christ and resting on Him, you better make sure it's true. You better make sure that foundation is solid. If you're going to bet your life and risk your life on it. Oh, and John understands those who have trusted Christ as well. He understands our tendency to forget our foundation. We, we base our foundation, our security, our, 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 our self-worth, our joy, our, our experiences, our emotions on so many other things than Christ so many times. We're like, we're like kids stepping from stone to stone trying to get across a brook or a river rather than staying put on the one firm rock in the middle of a raging storm. As I said, John t- understands our tendency to forget our foundation, so he gives us three of the most solid witnesses and proof of Jesus' divinity and sacrificial death. Let's look at the three that agree. But first, what do they agree upon? Look at verses 6 through 8 with me again. Chapter 5. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For these are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. What do they agree upon? What are the witnesses trying to corroborate? Well, he says it in verse 6. This is he who came. Jesus the Messiah. Well, came from where? Across the sea in a boat? (laughs) By foot across the desert? From Nazareth where he lived? No, no, no. came from heaven. This is he who came, John. As Martha professed in John's Gospel, Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Coming from heaven. Jesus came into the world. means he's the preexistent Son of God who came to us. You know, Nicodemus, John says, using the exact same word, is the one who came to Jesus by night. But Jesus, John says, in his gospel, Jesus was the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came to us. He is the ultimate missionary who left behind his home in heaven to come. He's the ultimate pioneer, setting off to a foreign land to discover a land and a people for himself. He comes to us. We don't come to him. He comes to us. To us, And when he came, God did not want a mistake to be made about who he is. That's the agreement. That's what they agree upon. And so these three witnesses that agree, here they are. Here's the first one. We have the witness of Jesus' baptism. It says water there, and many scholars have speculated. But I think really the clearest explanation of what this passage is talking about, because it's where a true testimony about Jesus took place, where a true witness happened of who he is, was at his baptism. You know, there were heresies about Jesus in John's day and heresies on our, in our own. In John's day, there was the belief that uh, Jesus was just a man and that the Messiah Spirit descended on Jesus at his baptism and left him at the cross. In our day, we've got all kinds of heresies as well. Jesus is your magic genie who came to just really give you what you want. When John speaks of the water six times here, I think he's talking about the baptism, referring to Jesus' baptism. He came to us through water. All four Gospels record his baptism. It means it's important. It's where Jesus is anointed for ministry as the triune God appears, Father, Son, and Spirit like a descending dove. It's where they, in a sense, put their stamp of approval on the work of the Son, vouch for him, set him up to go out now and begin his ministry. Here's the passage from Matthew 3 of the water, the baptism. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. What we get here in the water is God the Father combining words from Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42 and his words spoken over Jesus. He is a witness, he's a testimony that this is the King, the Messiah, who will be a suffering king, quoting Isaiah 42, a suffering Messiah, a suffering servant. And John the Baptist in the Gospel of John ties all this together by saying, this is Je- this Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But I did not know him, John goes on, but God told me, when you see the Spirit come on him like a dove, there is your witness. He is the one. John gives us the background and the information and and what uh, God is testifying about when he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What is he testifying? This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And here's the beautiful thing. Did Jesus need the water? Did did Jesus need, as as the God-man, did Jesus need John's baptism of repentance? Did he need it? No, he didn't. He's perfect, sinless. But when he does it, you know what he's doing? He's identifying with us. He's walking down into the same water that they walked into. He's going through the same ceremony that they went through. He's saying, I am next to you. I'm walking alongside you. I'm one of you. He's saying, I see the overwhelming weight you are carrying by living with your sin in this sinful world watch me as i begin the road to your salvation that's what he's doing that's what he's saying when he identifies with us in the water he didn't have to do that but it's a way for him to show us that i am with you i'm not like you but i am one of you too and where would that road lead that started in the water to a bloody cross It's the second of the three that agree. He came by water was the first. And the second, John mentions, is blood. We have the witness of Jesus' blood. John mentions the blood three times as well in these verses. And he's picking up his theme uh, from chapter 1 of this letter, verse 7, if you remember or look back with me there. He wrote, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Why is this such a big deal to John? Why does he repeat it here? The blood, the blood, the blood. He says it three times. Because this is the Jesus we have to offer. This is the Jesus John is offering. We don't offer a Jesus who says, come to me and I promise you health and wealth and prosperity. We don't offer a Jesus who says to me, come to me so I can make your life easy. We don't offer a Jesus who says, come to me so you can have your best life now. We don't offer a Jesus who says, come to me, have all your problems solved. No, we offer a Jesus who says, the testimony of your life is one of sin. The testimony of my life is one of perfect righteousness. And because of that, my blood can make you right. My blood can make you clean. It can wash away your sins. The blood. He can give you righteousness that is not your own. This is why it's so important to John. This is why he mentions it three times. This is why it's the primary testimony and witness to who Jesus is. This is the Jesus we have to offer. This Jesus gets so distorted, like we've already said, in so many ways. But his death is what we have to offer. And it was a one of a a, a voluntary laying down his life. It wasn't this tragic cosmic accident, but it was the foreordained plan of God. It was God's plan A for the world. And as God spoke at his son's baptism, the son spoke at his death, bloody death on the cross, it is finished. But you know, God testified at the bloody crucifixion in some ways, even like he did at the baptism in the water. How did God speak? You remember the crucifixion? He spoke with a darkened sky. He testified with a torn veil in the temple. He testified with the really, really freaky uh, description in one of the Gospels that there were some that resurrected who had already died that were walking around Jerusalem now. Imagine that. Uh, hearing a knock at your front door and going, James? Bob? Susie? I thought you were dead, right? I mean, he, he, he did speak. He did testify at the son's death as well. This is proof. And and the resurrection secured it, established it, verified the testimony of the water and the blood. And this is what the entire scriptures were pointing to as well. That's why it's so important to John. That's why it's one of the three that agree. Jesus made sure his disciples were aware of this after his resurrection. I love this passage. Luke 24 it's right after he already kind of does this with with the two men on the road to Emmaus he's talking to his disciples right after that here's the verses then he said to them these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled that's a way of saying all of it Uh, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus says all the writing, the law, the prophets, the wisdom literature, they are all right about me. Do you know why we're Christ-centered at Bethany Church? Do you know why when I preach the Old Testament that I try as best I can to take us to Jesus like we've been doing in our Genesis series that we're going to get back into in September. Genesis gets us to Jesus because that is what Jesus does. That's why we do it. That's what he did. Luke uh, 24 describes for us. The story of the Bible is not that Jesus was an add-on or, or, or a secondary thought once they failed in the garden or that Jesus is your, your magic genie or your cosmic butler or your therapist. No. The story of the Bible from start to finish is that he's the suffering king who stretched out his arms to be pierced for you? That's the story. His blood, water, blood, it, it's the witness that he is the Savior, God's plan for the world. Water, blood. And Paul says in Acts 20 to the pastors of the church in Ephesus, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood that's why it's important Paul says to the the elders in Ephesus pay attention watch over the flock why it's so valuable that Jesus was willing to purchase it with his own blood so take care of it water Blood, But then John calls in the third of the three that agree, kind of brings out the big gun here for the testimony, the third one. We have the witness of the Holy Spirit. Water, blood, and Holy Spirit. You'll be hearing, listening this morning, and and just in case you might have thought, well, okay, this is Jesus' life. Okay, you're talking about his life, his his baptism, his death, but how does that really prove anything? Maybe it's just recording of his life. Uh, John says here, This isn't my opinion. This isn't my opinion this morning. John says, This is God's word. This is God's testimony. This is God saying all of this about Jesus. It is true. The Holy Spirit as well is mentioned three times here, just like the water and the blood. Verse 6 And the Spirit is the one who testifies, the verse says, because the Spirit is is truth. You know, that's how he's described most often in the Bible. The spirit of truth. The giver of truth. The illuminator of truth. The light that shines uh, uh, the truth in our hearts. This is the primary role of the Holy Spirit. He loves to shine a light on the truth of Jesus as a testimony. Vouching. You know, when you travel, how important is your passport? Really important. You got to have it. You got to hold on to it. You got to keep it. Maybe when you've traveled, you put it in one of, the, one of those belts to keep it really tight and close to your person. I had a friend, a dear friend of mine, who was traveling in South America a while back. Um, and he's a, he's a world traveler. He's just kind of one of those guys. He's all over the place all the time, doing things, and great Christian guy. I love him. Uh, but he was on his way to the airport... I think his wife was pregnant with her second, maybe, and at home. On his way back to the airport, in the cab, he hops out, and as he gets out, his passport falls out in the cab. It's gone, and he uh, he doesn't know yet. But he gets in line, and he uh, goes up to the security, the checkpoint, and "Where's your passport, sir?" And he's you know, does one of these. I, I don't know. So he starts thinking, "Where is it?" And they said, "They said, I'm sorry, sir. You, I mean, you can't you can't be your own witness. You can't vouch that you're." Who you say you are. We've got to have the passport. It is your validation. And my friend, ten, things just sort of tend to strangely work out for him. Within a matter of uh, an hour, I think it was, a couple hours, in this massive city of millions of cabs, he tracked down, or thousands of cabs probably, he tracked down his passport, and made his flight. Jesus has the witness of the three here, the validation. The passport, so to speak, blood, water, but the Spirit is the one. Now, the Spirit is the one who does the work of verifying these truths. He's like, he's the credential, the passport into our world for the Son. And Martin Luther knew this so clearly that he said no matter how much the gospel is preached, no one accepts it unless the Spirit is present. Like my friend at the the checkpoint, he wasn't going to be accepted without his passport. No one accepts the Son as the Son who died and was baptized and lived for us without the presence of the Spirit. And why do they agree? The three agree, we called it, and John says that. Because Christianity isn't a system of just cobbled together truths or doctrines. It's a comprehensive worldview. It's a unified whole, much like we are a unified psychosomatic body and soul. The, 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 the body of Christian truth is a comprehensive, unified whole. It's not one option among many. It is ultimate reality. And ultimate reality will not be contradicted, cannot be contradicted. It will always agree. The three agree because of that. But how about our final two witnesses? The first one was kind of broken into three. Our final 2 we'll go through a little more quickly. So we want to take a look at the final uh, two here. Here's our second one. The witness of the external word and internal evidence. The external word and internal evidence. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me again. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. This is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. There's a testimony mentioned, I think, six, eight, eight times, I think, in our passage or some form of that word. John has some really strong words here. All throughout this book, John has been making the case that your faith has to be both objective, what you believe, In practice, and subjective, you can know you know God. This deep, intimate fellowship and joy, life on life, love of God shed abroad on your heart experience. Subjective. It has to be both. Here he makes a similar claim. It's a claim really from the lesser to the greater. The lesser to the greater. You know, we believe so many things on the claims of external witnesses. Oh, you got to try wayward sandwiches. It's so good. Or, or you have to watch The Chosen. It's so good. I've already said that one today. Or you got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what do we do? We go to Wayward and we try a sandwich. We watch The Chosen. We say, well, okay, I- I'll believe. And John is saying here, if you believe the testimony of humans, I mean, we'll put someone in jail for life or sentence them to death on human testimony. He says, if you believe that, here you have the testimony of God. You have the external evidence and word from God. Jesus is the Messiah. It's from lesser, the testimony of men, to the greater, the testimony of God. This is not some testimony of a small group of early followers of Jesus who manufactured some story to gain power and influence in the world. This is not a philosophy This is not human invention, John is saying here. We have a revelation from God. And the reason to believe it is that it's from God himself. It's externally validated from the outside by the revealing God. But we also know that if I can tell you to to try something and give you an external witness and testimony, I can tell you to try wayward sandwiches. Watch The Chosen or believe in Jesus. But until you bite down on that barbecue sandwich and internally taste it or hit play on an episode of The Chosen and watch it or until you taste and see for yourself that Jesus is good, you don't really know it. You don't really know it experientially, subjectively. You might even say, I, I believe I've heard it's a way where it's pretty good I've heard. I've heard Jesus is a pretty yeah, pretty good guy. I think I've heard his words are even amazing. But John says to believe the testimony truly means you will also know that you know. You will be certain it is certain. You'll bet your life on Jesus. It becomes an internal witness, John writes. Or as Paul put in Romans, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of of God. There is such pastoral comfort in Paul's words here and in John's words in this letter. This is why this is not John just trying to win an argument. This is not me today just trying to uh, come from a position of authority as pastor and, and try to manipulate you into believing. No, there's pastoral comfort here. What he's saying about this internal witness, what he's saying is that while a past conversion experience can be helpful, or a prior experience with God, those can be helpful in your life. What he's saying is what matters most is what you say today about Jesus. Today. Right now. You know, I I grew up in the church, and some of you do as well. And if you did, it's possible. Many that grew up in the church sometimes, they don't even know the date of their conversion. Uh, You know, I I think it was then. I'm not exactly sure. I just feel like I've believed a long time. What do you say today? That's the question. What do you say right now? You know, like I said, the the former conversion or the experience is helpful because there is a starting point and a real moment of new birth does happen, but what do you say today is most important? Who are you trusting internally today, right now? What are you resting in believing today? That's for the person coming to Christ maybe right now for the first time or for the lifelong believer. That's what discipleship means. It's ongoing faith and following of this one. It's not just a one-time decision. If you can say today, Jesus Christ is the Messiah and his death and resurrection are for me, there's your assurance. There's your internal proof. That is the testimony in you, the spirit working in you. It's an ongoing, active faith which means it also will show up in ongoing active obedience and growth, which John has clearly said that's one of the the tests. But here's the other thing. It also means there's no security in just a one-time prayer that was said. A one-time profession that was made, an emotional experience, unless the person still says, today, I trust Jesus today. There's no assurance then. A present-day testimony, a living life of obedience. That's what John is saying is the eternal witness. There is no insurance, assurance, and in fact, no certainty of salvation unless the testimony continues. That's practical for us, because that means there's some people in our life that we need to start treating differently and pursuing on a much greater level because a once-said testimony is no longer existent. I know those are hard words to hear for a lot of us. But John is telling us today, the testimony has to go on. It's internal, which means it's always there. And in fact, like I said, John gives us hard words today. To deny Jesus or even be indifferent or undecided about Jesus is to say, if the testimony is from God, God, you're a liar. It's charging God with perjury. It's heavy, I know. We've got to speak the truth and, and speak accurately what John is saying in the Word. We've been using Martin Lloyd Jones uh, a few times throughout this series. I've been using uh, some of his uh, study uh, as well. And I, I, he just says the, so well, uh, just in such a perfect way with some quotes. So here's what he said about this idea of believing the testimony and not believing. Someone may say, well, I will only believe if I have proof. But God says, I just ask you to believe because I'm speaking. So not to believe is dishonoring to him. To insist that you must have proof is to detract from his glory. So first I must believe God is the witness. And if I do, then I shall have the witness of the Spirit within myself. That doesn't mean, of course, obviously, that uh, God doesn't give us testimony and evidence, because he does. But to use the need of perfect knowledge or perfect testimony as an excuse to not believe is an offense to God, and it's calling God a liar. You know, intellectual scent is not what Jesus is after. Uh, the belief that leads to life is the belief that's not just intellectual scent. It's a belief that begins on your knees. That's what Jesus is after. The kind of belief that is in an abandonment of yourself. It's the kind of belief that says, when I look at myself, I see a sinner whose only hope is to cling to, run to, jump into the arms of my Savior. That's the kind of belief he's looking for. And when you do that, you not only have the witness of the external and the internal evidence, you have the final witness. So let's call the final witness to the stand. It's the witness of life or death. Life or death. When we look at the gospel, the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the water, the blood, what we've been talking about, the resurrection included in that, it's not less than the forgiving of sins, not less than escaping from evil. But I would say those aren't even the primary purpose. It's actually so much more than that. It's not less than those, but it's so much more. The gospel's about life. It's about life. James Boyce said it this way, the now deceased uh, uh, pastor. Uh, He said, eternal life is not merely an ending life, therefore. It is the very life of God. What we are promised in Christ is a participation in the life of the one who bears this testimony. This life is not to be enjoyed by everyone, however. This life is in Christ. Consequently, it is impossible to have life without having Christ, as it is impossible to have Christ without at the same time possessing eternal life. In other words, to have Jesus is to have life. That's what the gospel is about primarily. Yes, he has to remove the barrier of sin and wash you clean and make you righteous to give you that, but ultimately it's about life. So not to have Jesus is like living a death in the here and now. If you can have eternal life present now, even now, to not have Jesus is like a a death here and now. It's kind of like a zombie life, you might call it. Our culture, do you know that, is obsessed with zombies obsessed with zombie movies and zombie shows, The Walking Dead, uh, World War Z, and others. In fact, there's even been scholarly speculation on why that is since the middle of the 20th century, zombies have overtaken our culture. Scholars have actually speculated about this. On the one hand, I think we like the survival mentality of fleeing to a safe space, only to have the relentless pursuit of the monster beating down the next door you've hidden behind. But what if some have speculated is we are obsessed by to look at zombies and watch zombies because by looking at the zombie we're looking at ourselves. One commentator said lacking emotion, lacking joy, only feeling the relentless urge to consume a heedless plague of humanity consuming the world, and I would say consuming themselves too. What John is saying is that to reject Christ is to reject life. It is to be a walking, talking, dead man or woman, a spiritual corpse in a physical body like a zombie. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It is so clear. To reject Christ is to embrace death and judgment. It's to face the fires of hell. We don't say that often. Even the doctrine of hell has kind of slipped its way out of the church. But in a passage like this today, how can we not talk about that? To reject Christ is, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, is to stand condemned already, he said in that John chapter 3 passage. Oh, poor Nicodemus. When he came to Jesus that night, he couldn't understand that Jesus was the one that came to him. And all the witnesses were right in front of his eyes. And Jesus said it, and I love this passage because it sounds a lot like our first John passage. Look at the words of, of, of Jesus and Nicodemus here. He answered him. He said, are you the teacher of Israel? And you do not understand these things, the testimony, the witnesses? Truly, truly, I say to you, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. Nicodemus, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, there's a testimony of men. How can I tell you, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things, the testimony of God? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. He is the one who came, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. There's the blood. What better evidence do we need? God has spoken. God has promised. God has verified. God has testified and shown Jesus as the Messiah. Will you be a dead man walking or live even now possessing eternal life? What's your verdict? Jesus, we thank you for the words of life. It is all about Christ alone. Your word, your story, the Bible, the gospel, we are not the stars of that story. We are the blessed benefactors that get wrapped into it. So thank you for coming. Thank you for uh, the, the great rescue mission to earth. Thank you that you didn't leave us without testimony and witnesses. Thank you for this letter of John who uh, where he gives us these great witnesses of, of blood, of, of water, of sp- the spirit, of external, internal, and, and life and death. Lord Jesus, strengthen our faith today. My God, descend upon us mightily. Make us holy and whole and to live with a passion and a love and a concern for the lost and, a, and a, a a joy that transcends the junk we see going on right now. A joy that holds to you, Jesus, and can't help but overflow in gratitude for this gospel we have. We bless you, God, because you've been such a blessing to us. So we sing to close today in Christ alone, because that is our truth we live by. In Christ's name, amen.